Hello and welcome to the Rogue Ministry Podcast. This is Justin Barringer, the Rogue Minister, and I'm here with my co-host. This is Rachel, the creator of Speech Strong Resources. And together we are co-founders of Diapers Etc. And of course, host of the Rogue Ministry Podcast, creating and sustaining faithful ministries. All right, we are back. Welcome to our podcast. This is Rachel and I'm here with Justin. Hi. We're actually both here at the same time. Same time. Yes, yes. So today we are with my very dear friend, Maggie Middleton. And can we uh, say she's our very dear friend? We Because I mean, <laughs> she's my friend too. That's true. I don't go on vacations with her to Mexico. No. But invited that. Well, we're still good friends. Oh, Maggie, our dear friend that we met back when we were in Lexington. And Maggie, I think I've known you since 2013. I was trying to do the math earlier. I think that's about right. So we've known each other for about seven years. Although yeah. I know sometimes we've talked about how we should have met way earlier because we knew a whole bunch of the same people and we mm-hmm. worked with a lot of the same people, but we just didn't cross our paths soon enough. Yeah. So to be friends. That's right. That's right. <laughs> we were destined to be friends. So Maggie works in Lexington with a nonprofit called Amachi. It's a mentoring program. I'm not going to say too much about it because um, Maggie, I'm going to let you talk about that. Um, so let's just start off with telling everybody exactly what Amachi is and what they do um, and any, you know, background or history that you know about it. And uh, I'd love to just know how you ended up there. I don't think I've ever asked you that. So, oh, so if you want to learn about me, Rachel. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Amachi, Amachi Central Kentucky, we're the one that's kind of focused in Lexington here. Um, We are part of a larger faith-based nonprofit called the Lexington Leadership Foundation. Uh, Amachi specifically is a one-on-one mentoring program for kids and teens who have been impacted by parental incarceration. So that means we work with kids who have ever had a parent or a relative that's been in jail or prison, kids who have had someone just close to them who's been incarcerated, or kids who live in a high crime or high incarceration neighborhood. So we provide all those kids in our program about, we have probably about 140 kids right now um, that all have their own mentor. Um, and, uh, and the reason we work with kids impacted by incarceration is just because they are at um, high risk for just um, negative behaviors and just also things like depression, much more likely to be living in financial difficulties. And, and kids actually with an incarcerated parent actually have a really much higher likelihood of going to jail themselves one day, um, just because that's kind of what has happened in the family. It can kind of be a unfortunately a generational thing at times. So we want to do what we can to kind of uh, just cut those risks. A lot of those, uh, sometimes when, when kids have had that in their family, they might not have as much access to positive opportunities and access to school opportunities and things like that. So, but uh, our program is actually based off a, off a national model. So there's actually Amachi programs in, in several other places around the country. But it was started in, um, 
1999, that might not be right, in Philadelphia by a former mayor and pastor, Wilson Good, who just, uh, just really cared about his community and saw that some of the highest risk communities just had a really high rate of incarceration. And so he got together with uh, dozens of churches, I want to say like 50 or 60 of them, just to really kind of take on the, the case of mentoring kids in this boat. Um, so we've been in Lexington now about 16 years. I've been there a little over 10 of those years. Um, and so we basically, we get to know families, we get to know kids, and we place each of those kids with their own one-on-one -on -one mentor. Some of those kids are in their first year of having a mentor. I have some matches that have been together for 10 years or more. Um, so that's really, so I've actually gotten to see some kids kind of grow up in our program and, and I definitely have heard a lot of stories, some really cool, some are, are heartbreaking, but, um, we're all about just kind of giving kids a, a positive person in their life, um, to be kind of a part of a positive village. Cool. So then, so how did you get, um, involved in this organization and then what kind of background like schooling do you have and that kind of thing yeah yeah so um i actually am originally from st louis missouri and i moved to kentucky in 2005 to go to asbury seminary in a little bitty town called Wilmore. And uh, prior to that, I had been doing some urban inner city ministry in a, in a couple of different places. And just was really, um, had kind of really sold on this idea of just what it means to be incarnational, that, um, you know, we are, what ministry really is, is I think what Justin would say is about building friendships. Um, it's about being present with, with the people in your life um and you know whether they've got lots of resources or don't have a lot so i was just doing a lot of trying to just be a good neighbor in a couple of different inner city neighborhoods was teaching preschool i did inner city preschool and just was doing a lot of things and i lived between oakland california and did a program called mission year then i moved to atlanta georgia and was doing some church youth ministry um but uh, also doing some kind of after school in an urban setting kind of stuff. So we was just getting to do a lot of those things um, right after college. And then had always thought about going to seminary and it was just kind of a good natural time in 2005. So that was kind of my background was um, in college and those, those first few years after college was just really thinking a lot about um, urban ministry and and all its uh, wonderful joys and also it's there's a lot of challenges as well. Um, so I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do once I got to seminary. I just knew that uh, I wanted to be in ministry somehow and uh, quickly realized that I did not want to be in ministry actually inside the walls of a local church. Um, that I really love the church and I believe in that of, of you know that we're called to be the church and be be good to each other as a community of believers, but um, really just was excited about this idea of kind of community ministry, of really being able just to get to know families and kids who are facing some sort of obstacles. And when I was in seminary, just did a lot of studying about the effects of fatherlessness on teenage girls and what that can do to their self-esteem and how that kind of disconnects kids. And so really just kept coming up against this idea of mentoring that, um, kids don't just need a youth group, they don't just need other kids, but they need a village of people who just really care about them and who just really want to connect with them. So I did a little bit of just kind of academic studying with that and then really thought, man, it'd be cool if I could do this one day, but didn't ever realize I could, 
ever get paid to do something like this. It was beyond my wildest dreams. And so I finished up seminary and had a couple different opportunities of some churches. I got to work with some churches that were doing some cool ministry things um, that were doing, it was very community-based. Um, and then we were just searching for a job. I had about 18 months after I graduated from seminary in 2008. Terrible time to be looking for a ministry or nonprofit job and was pretty painful. And then uh, one of my best friends had happened to work previously with this nonprofit. And she said, Maggie, and I actually was about to take another job in Boston. She said, I think I've just found the job that is meant for you. And it was working with this mentoring program. And I thought I can get paid to do that. That is the dream. So I know the rest is history. I didn't ever imagine I'd be there this long, but I you know, I really do love it because I've gotten to do a lot with the program. I've gotten to help it grow and just kind of got to see a lot of people come through what we do. So that's the, that's the shorter version of the story. That's a question I wanted to ask because in a lot of nonprofit work, ministry work, there's a lot of turnover, mm -hmm. hard work, weird hours, often not the best pay, all those kind of things. So what what have been some of the things that have, you know, helped you stay at this one organization doing mm -hmm. the same or similar kinds of work for around a decade? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. There's a lot. I hear that a lot. And I work sometimes even kind of in a consulting or coaching role with some other mentoring programs. And um, you're right. There's an extremely high turnover rate. So some of the programs I work with, I feel like they're, you know, there's, there's new staff every week. Um, but our organization, we actually have, I'm, I am actually, gosh, there's probably at least four or five other people who are in what we call the 10 year club, um, mm -hmm. or kind of thereabouts. And so people often ask me, what is it about your place that people want to stay? And I think that part of it is just, um, the heart behind what we do. I think it, you know, if you look at any kind of, um, you know, overworked state agency, you know, sometimes things can be a little, I don't think intentionally so, but it can feel a little bit more clinical and like just mm -hmm. doing work. But I think that we just kind of the staff and the kind of the staff family we have, it is that it's a family and it's, you know, we really care about the individual families we work with. Um, we are faith-based, so we, we pray for our families, we pray for each other and really try to make it, you know, obviously we, we're funded by grants and we have some goals that, you know, that we need to kind of go after, but really just remembering the heart of what we're doing and that's about people, um, you know, people before programs. Um, and, and I think too, just having a staff that when we are struggling and we've had a hard year, I mean, on top of the pandemic, we've actually lost four kids, um, that have been connected to our ministry somehow, um, three of them to gun violence. Um, and, uh, just, you know, and it's just, it's been a really hard year. Um, and then of course, when you add a, a global pandemic on top of that, and just, you know, when you already work with families that are in lots of need, it is really hard, but I think we do have the kind of uh, atmosphere where we're able to support each other and pray with each other and, and cry when we need to. Um, and so it makes it, it, it kind of gives us that solid footing. Um, and we also, you know, I will credit my boss too. I think he's just, um, you know, he's very ministry minded, but just kind of also has a good business sense. Um, and so that helps in things like, you know, I'm never going to get rich off of what I do. I've got seminary sized student loans working for a nonprofit. Um, and this is, you know, 
like you can't really be in this for the money, but at the same time, he wants to make sure that like, you know, we're not like we can eat and I can own a house and pay my mortgage and things like that. And so, you know, I think we've got a board and a staff who really values what we do. And so they know that we also, we've got to be taken care of at the same time, you know, and with my job, like we've got crazy hours. I was at our center last night until about eight o'clock doing a training. Some of my staff does home visits um, at nights and on weekends. And so they've got all kind of crazy hours and um and so we've got to be flexible with that but i think a lot of that is just i'm just going to attribute it really just to good leadership and people who know that if you're going to do a ministry well you've got to get the right people on the team and you've got to take care of them the ethos of a place makes all the difference mm -hmm. for sure yeah. um so one of the questions i often uh, ask people in these interviews is kind of how they got started but a lot of that assumes these people have started Mm -hmm. ministries but you you kind of joined one even if it was um you know when it was fairly young you stepped in I, i'm just curious what what it kind of looked like on day one and what you've done and, and what others have done to sort of change it and grow it over the years so how how did it start and then yeah. Where are you now with it? Yeah. So when uh, Amachi started in Lexington, I want to say that was 2004. Um, and uh, at that time, it just kind of had a different model and it was mostly led by, it was led by a few uh, part-time people. And so there was a little bit more of that turnover just because of the part-time nature of work. And I wasn't around then. I actually wasn't familiar with it then. So I don't know tons about how it was operating, but the reason I was able to come on board full-time was that there were two different big federal grants that were, had enough money to pay a few, uh, full-time people. And so when I came in, we, I remember my boss actually asked me the question, this could last a year. Um, this could last more than that. And he said, how do you feel about that? And so we talked a lot about just what does it mean? And what does it mean to you to be a faith-based nonprofit operating a federal grant? Because obviously there's some, there, there's some issues there. It's not impossible. Um, I don't think they're really in opposition to each other as sometimes people might think um but there are you know just things that we've got to be careful of and you know make sure that we're not um you know there's just lots of issues like that so when i came in we were kind of the program was pretty small i think there was maybe 20 20 kids being served at that time and then they were just able to bring in a, in a full-time staff so they brought in me my job at the time was a match specialist kind of a case manager position so my job was basically to meet mentors meet mentees and families and decide who was matched with who um, and there was kind of a basic system underlying there but i didn't um I, you know, I really was kind of making things up as I went along and we had a full-time volunteer recruiter who was able to bring in lots of volunteers. So we had 20 matches then, uh, last year at one point we had 150 matches. So there is, has been a lot of growth. I think within that time, what we've been able to, and it's not just been me, I feel like we've just had the right team at the right time, really helping to develop things, thinking about what is it that we, what do we think mentoring is and what do we think it's about? What how is it that we can help support and facilitate these really meaningful matches? Um, what is it that families are going through these hard times? What, you know, what is most helpful to them? I think a lot, there's definitely a lot of trial and error, a lot of realizing, you know, I think 
early on into my job, I had, our staff read the book When Helping Hurts, which was extremely, I'm so glad I would recommend that to anyone, especially mm -hmm. for any kind of helping Christian ministry. I realized that there were probably some things I was doing, probably going about the wrong way and just thinking about what does it mean to really come alongside and not really not necessarily serve and do things for our families, but what does it mean to be in ministry together? What does it mean to love our city and our neighborhood together? Um, so I think that was part of it too. And just kind of thinking about the term do no harm and, you know, what does that mean? And, and, uh, and how do I encourage volunteers to really think seriously about their role as a mentor? Um, and, and to understand that that's a, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a big thing that you're taking on when you decide to do this. Yeah. So I know this is, a, like you're mentioning here, a, a big part of, of what you do, because I know we've talked about it a little bit, but how exactly do you go about finding your volunteers? How do you recruit them? And then, you know, what kind of things? I know you do a lot of the training. What kind of trainings mm -hmm. do they go through to be prepared to, to mentor? Yeah. So um, part of, so there are leadership foundations all over the country and even some internationally, and they're all different. They all have a different flavor, but one thing that's in common with, and definitely that's really important to us is just having a partnership model, which means that we believe that if you're doing it alone, you're doing it wrong. And even if we could do all the work ourselves, that's not, that's not a good and healthy way to do that. So we love to partner with people. We love to partner with local churches. Um, so we know that a lot of times there are really good and beautiful people in local churches that really, really want to help make the community be a good place, but they don't really know where to get started. Um, and so Machi kind of, we're able to kind of function in this role of saying, we will meet the kids. We'll kind of figure out who, what kids in our, in our community would really, really benefit from mentors. And we will give you those tools and resources. So you don't have to go just randomly pick out a kid to, to invest in. Um, so with that, we, end, we do, we partner with a lot of different churches and we sometimes will do presentations. Um, well, you know, if people have volunteer fairs, we'll do things like that. We also really partner with a lot of college students. We got a lot of fantastic college mentors. Um, we actually, UK, the, the local college here, the University of Kentucky, we've had a lot of student athletes who have become mentors. I think uh, we've probably got more than half the women's swim team are all mentors with us. And they've just kind of taken on this cause as their own. They love Amachi and they encourage all the new incoming swimmers to, to be mentors with us. Um, and we've got a couple, you know, we've got some other teams as well. Um, but there's a really, there's kind of a big, you know, we like to cast a wide net. We, you know, do some radio PSAs and lots of social media, but it's really about partnering with people and just, you know, reminding them about what we're about and just saying, hey, do you want to partner with us in this? Um, and then as far as training, you know, there's kind of a whole guidebook of just best practices for youth mentoring. Um, so we work with some of those organizations that kind of help inform that. And then uh, we do have a, a grant as well that one of the great things about it is it does, it has provided a training for us that pe other people have researched. I haven't really had to put it together. I've added some things here and there, but it's, it's there. But before anyone is able to start mentoring, we have them do about a two hour pre-match training. And we talk about lots of things, uh, how we got started, why we exist, some of the ways kids can be impacted by parental incarceration, kind of some of those hard things. And we also really focus on what I call positive youth development. Well, I don't call it like that's what it's called. It's that's the <laughs> that's the philosophy of, of youth development that we use. Um, 
And it's really great. It's a really asset-based approach. Um, and so we really teach a lot about how to interact with kids utilizing positive youth development. And there's a lot of kind of research-based trainings that we talk about with that. Um, and we also just talk about kind of dynamics of healthy mentoring. You know, a lot of it honestly is just kind of a primer in just relationships in general, not necessarily kids who have been through hard things, but what does it mean to just kind of be that trusted adult friend with a kid and to be connected and to, to listen, to have empathy. So there's kind of a whole slew of things. But then beyond that, the way we're structured, I love, is that every match has what they call a match specialist. That was how my job started. I'm the program director now. But um, every match has a staff person that checks in with the family and the mentee and the mentor at least once a month just to see how things are going. Are there resources we can point the mentors to? Are there resources that families need, especially with COVID? Gosh, there's, you know, we've, that's something we worked really hard at is making sure our families are aware of available resources. Um, and so a lot of it is just very relational, honestly, is just, you know, basically checking in and asking how that match relationship is going, but also asking how the mentors and mentees are just doing personally, especially now, you know, we, school just started here and today in Kentucky, it's all online, all virtual. I had an intern doing family calls and she said Maggie I think every single one of them said they're struggling with school and, and just knowing how to do that so we like to check in and just and sometimes there's not much we can do about it but we also want to be a resource and kind of a bridge to other places in the community if we can um, but then beyond that we also just try to point our, our mentors in the directions of other trainings that that might have things to do just with youth development or you know just working with kids who have dealt with trauma um, all sorts of things like that so you brought up COVID and I was thinking about that because when I think mentoring, I think going out to lunch with the kid, going and playing some ball with them, you know, yeah. doing activities they enjoy, whatever. And so I just am wondering kind of what mentoring is looking like in, in the age of COVID, what, mm -hmm. how, how is how are your mentors mentoring um, besides just being able to point people to resources? How are they building yeah. up those relationships right now? Yeah. So when things really started to break in March, fun fact, Rachel and I were on a trip in Mexico. We didn't really <laughs> realize bad things were happening. We were in an oblivious, blissful state of mind, That's but right. we realized that things were shutting down and that schools were, were closing and things like that. Um, so between March and early June, we had to quickly make the call that we asked all of the mentors to, to cease in-person time with their mentees. Now, someone who runs a mentor, a very relational mentoring program, that was a weird decision to need to make, but it was the mm -hmm. safe one. So what we did in lieu of that is we kind of shifted to what we might call virtual or e-mentoring. So we knew that, we know that our kids, you know, they're going to, they sometimes already deal with isolation and disconnection even more so if you can't be at school and you need to be at home all the time. Um, so we, every week we're giving as many ideas as we could to talk about how to connect with kids. So whether it's phone calls or texting or video chatting, um, we tried to find resources of like online games and things to do. Um, just, you know, any ideas that we could, we did some Zoom call, we did a couple of Zoom calls with our mentors just for us all to kind of brainstorm ways that we connect when we can't be in person with each other. Um, and, and one of the things we, we found early on is that like, 
COVID, this was not going to be a time when you're going to have deep relation, deep uh, conversations with your kiddos. What, what the important thing is, is to let our kids know we're thinking about them and that we're connecting, you know, even just by saying, hi, I'm thinking, I'm thinking about you. Um, and so we've got, we had a lot of people do that would send gift packages and letters and cards and things like that. At the same time, one of the other programs we run was doing a lot of uh, meal service because kids were out of school. So a lot of kids were, were missing out and getting food. So we had just a lot of places that donated food to us at some other partnerships we worked out. So every day from about March, probably 15-ish through the end of July, we had people, volunteers and staff from our organization that delivered about 300 meals a day. Um, and some of those were Aramati. Oh, wow. um, and so, and sometimes we would have mentors that would help with that. I actually, my mentee came with me a couple of times um, to do that. But in probably about mid-June, we realized we were probably okay to start in-person time with some precautions. Obviously, there are some families, you know, we have a lot of grandparents raising grandkids. And so there are some of those families that that just wasn't a safe thing to do. Um, we have some mentors who work in the healthcare field. And so we didn't want to expose families to that. So we encourage those matches to still be connecting virtually. But if people could spend time in person to do things outdoors, practicing social distancing, wearing masks, things like that. Um, we, I had one mentor that she, a few times, would go over to her mentee's house, and her bedroom window was kind of on the outside facing wall, and she would just talk to her through the window and um, have a good time. And when we had a mentee's birthday come up, like, we would send things from our office, but often mentors would bring by a little treat and things like that. So, um, definitely required a lot of creativity. Um, and it was, you know, I think definitely was a struggle, but, um, not, and we're still working within that, but we're able to be in person a little bit more now. So, and of course, the thing we're really focusing on at the moment is, is how do we be a support to our families dealing with this really strange school situation? Um, just, you know, lots of, we have lots of grandparents and single parents and other things like that, just trying to learn this whole, this whole school setting, it's, you know, and it's a challenge for everyone. Yeah, for sure. So then along those same lines, sort of, what are some of spiritual or emotional or other practices that help you sustain your work, like self-care? Because mm -hmm. it's a lot of work and it's stressful and it's a complete turnaround from what kind of things, you know, you usually do. So um, mm -hmm. how do you take care of your, yourself and all that? Yeah. So for me, I'm actually talking with, with the two of you about this before we started recording. I have been just working on my own personal physical health for about probably 10 months, really specifically. And I, and Justin will, will make fun of this, but I found for me that running and walking is just, even when it's hard, it's a really good thing for me. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I'm glad I can walk, but <laughs> I don't, I don't like to. And I, I, I certainly That's don't run yet. even if I'm being chased. <laughs> That's right. But I have just really found that being able to have that time to myself to do kind of that physical stuff is just, uh, that's been really, really helpful. Um, I think too, with our team, really, I really try to encourage an atmosphere of just being really honest about how we're doing, encouraging all of us to practice self-care and kind of challenging each other to do that. Um, so we do pray together a lot. We talk a lot about just what are the things that we're struggling with, where are things that are hard. 
um, and just, you know, just kind of allowing for that, that safe environment. And I think too, you know, just finding friends and people to connect with um, that I can just kind of tell about, you know, man, it's been really hard or, you know, it's, it's, you know, it is a weird thing to run a mentoring program within COVID and there's a lot of needs. And like I said, we've had, you know, we've had some really tragic things happen this year to some of our young people. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, and just really being able to kind of lean on each other as a team. Um, but also people, I think it's also important that I find people that I don't work with, you know, so, so Rachel, you know, Rachel's a great English. She's someone that I talk to quite a bit about things that are going on. Yay. Even my list, Rachel. Also just people within my church community, just being able to say like, Hey, it's been a really hard week and I'm struggling and I just, you know, could use some prayer. So those have been a few of the things that have just been really good for me. And I think just having the self-discipline too, that like, you know, just, you know, just treating myself well and just understanding too, when is it that I need a break? When is it that I just, you know, I've got to call in someone else to, to kind of help me with certain things because it's just too much and, and just realizing what my limitations are. And this is Justin Berenger, the Rogue Minister, signing off with my co-host, Rachel at Speech Strong Resources. And go check out our show notes. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review and comment. You can also submit questions, reviews, and comments on our Facebook page. And as always, be faithful to that which you have been called.